thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, the Bible says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And by it, being dead, yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Verse 6 says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. I want to talk to you this morning from this passage from a sermon titled, Let's Get Our Priorities Right in 2016. Pray with me. God, thank you. For your word. Father, I pray that today as we look to your word, you'd teach us by your spirit. Father, I pray for each person who's come into the room today. Lord, we all have different needs. Some people need to be saved, God. Some people need to be consecrated. Some people need to be delivered. Lord, I pray that you'd do your work your way. Teach us now is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. God wants you to learn something this morning. Say learn. Some people are really wasting their time in school because they have no heart to learn. Now, let me say this. If you're not out of 12th grade yet, you don't have an option. you got to keep going. But if you ever get to the place where you go to college and you are paying for those courses, you really should get something out of it. Can we agree about that? If you ever get to the place where you're going to college, you really need to start paying attention. And every time we come to the Word of God, whether it's in person, whether it's listening to someone on tape, on the radio, on television, you need to believe that God is alive. Do we believe God is alive today? Amen. And do we believe God can speak through his word? See, many books are boring, and I've had some people tell me that the Bible is boring. It's not boring, but sometimes you got to read it long enough till you get something. If you read the Bible long enough, one day you're going to run across something, and it's going to jump out off the page, and you're going to be, wow, that is so cool. If you haven't had your wow, the Bible is cool moment yet, you need to keep reading. But we have just gone into the new year, 2016. Can you believe it? I know you're writing the wrong date on checks still, but if you're going to make out that, if you're going to give all your money to the church today, make it out for 2016. I'll be honest with you, I don't care what date you make it out for, as long as it's 2016 or before. But 2016 is upon us. If you are older than 40, these years are passing by quickly. If you're older than 50, it doesn't really matter because you forgot half of them already. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking with you. I'm in that group myself. But in 2016, every time there's a new year, society gives us permission to reset our lives. Society gives us permission to reset some uh, goals, some priorities, and we need to get our priorities right for 2016. If you don't live on purpose, life will pass you by in a meaningless way. What am I saying? You need to get up every day and have a purpose about what you're doing. Your purpose ought to be to please God, first and foremost. But you need to get up every day. You need to set some goals. You need to establish some priorities. You need to draw some lines in the sand and say, I will not step over that line again. I've seen people try to get delivered from stuff. Listen, you don't have to try to get delivered from anything. You just got to make a determination up for the Lord I'll live and for the Lord I'll die. And I'm not doing that anymore. So in The new year, every time January comes around, people try to set goals and establish things. Nothing wrong with that other than the fact that goal setting typically doesn't last in January. Because sometimes people set goals that aren't attainable. Sometimes people set goals that they don't really care about. But there are some things that we need to care about. We need to become who God wants us to be. Because if you read the Bible or you listen to Christians talk, you hear a lot of talk about all this great stuff that God wants to do for people, but the majority of people coming to church are broke. Y'all must be thinking about that. You say, Pastor, how do you know they're broke? Because, you know, 
it, 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 I, I see what they drive, and I see, I see what the offering plate says. You can't always tell by what they drive. The richest man I ever met drove a broke-down car. But I know that people who come to church are hurting while quoting cliches about how they're the head and not the tail, always above and never beneath. I know people are hurting even though they quote cliches about they're too blessed to be stressed and too anointed to be disappointed, but they go home and they're sad and they're suffering. If you want to move beyond that and really become who God wants you to be so you can do what God wants you to do, you need to get your priorities straight. Say straight. The chapter I read from this morning has been called by many theologians, the Hall of Faith, in contrast to the Hall of Fame. Uh, Most sports have a Hall of Fame. High schools have Halls of Fame. Some junior high schools have Halls of Fame. Recognizing great sports accomplishments, recognizing great athletes. Well, the Bible has this chapter, Hebrews 11, that recognizes some of the heroes of our faith, some of the most notable figures in Christianity. And one thing I find familiar about it, if you ever take the time to read Hebrews chapter 11, you're going to find out all of those people had issues. If you're going to look at the very best of who the Christian church has to offer, you're going to find out they were drunks, they were murderers, they were thieves, they were cowards, they were liars, but God saved them and changed them. Say change. We're a church for everybody. Now, I went, I went to a church one time in, in this city, called, and, and the sign said, a church for all people. And I walked in, I was the only white dude in the whole place. So I thought, well, I guess it's for all people from, from you know, one, one, one certain race. But this is truly a church. We started this church with a purpose, with a mission, with a vision to be multicultural, multiracial, multiethnic. And we let everybody, regardless of race, color, education, I believe what Dr. King said in the 60s and what Billy Graham said in the 70s, that the most uh, segregated hour in America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning where white people are still going to church with white people, black people are still going to church with black people. Listen, there's a real problem with that. If there are people of a different color in the neighborhood that the church is in and the church only has one color of folk, they're doing something to run people off. They're doing something to not invite and make everybody feel included in what's going on. So we truly are a church for all people. Most churches, not most, but many churches have been divided by either race or education or money. My kids ask me different stuff. They see a church sign. They've been asking me this their whole life. And we're riding down the road the other day. We saw a sign that said Presbyterian. My son said, Dad, what, what, what are Presbyterians believe? I said, well, they believe the Bible. They just got more money than we do. <laughs> if you don't believe me, go try to park in a Presbyterian parking lot and, and, and let them greet you and find out. But we are a church for all people. So we've got some of the same stuff represented in this room that the hall of faith has represented in Hebrews 11. We've got people in this room that I know for sure have have had problems with drugs, alcohol, and incarceration. I'm not talking about y'all. I'm talking about me. And I know there are other people in this room that are still having problems with drug, alcohol, and your parole. So keep your parole straight. Don't get violated. But we've got to move on. Say move on. It's not a shame to come to church as, as a drug dealer. You just need to get better. It's not a shame to come to church as a drug addict. You just need to get better. It's not a shame to come to a church as a hooker, hoe, or pimp, but you just got to get what? Better. Say better. This is what needs to happen. Nobody in this chapter or in this book or in this world has ever been perfect except Jesus Christ. That's why it offends me, it bothers me when I see church people looking down their nose at somebody who's suffering or struggling or not perfect because we need to understand that none of us are perfect either. Can somebody say amen? So don't look down your nose at people. Don't look, and when we say for all people, literally, we have homeless people coming to our church. We have drug addicts coming to our church. We've got all different types of people coming to our church. Why? Because everyone is welcome to come as they are, but we want everyone, whether you live on the right side of the track, the wrong side of the track, or under the tracks, we want everyone to get what? Better. Come as you are, but make sure that you are advancing because our hall of faith of people, they were really some messed up people, but here's the cool thing. The Bible teaches God chooses messed up people to work for him. The Bible chooses God, the Bible says God chooses the lower things of the world, the the baser things of the world. The Bible says that God takes the off-scouring of the world and puts his power in them so he'd be the one to get the credit. 
I've heard people say all my life, I remember when Michael Jackson was alive, people used to say all the time, oh, pastor, if God would just save Michael Jackson. I've heard people say, oh, pastor, if God would just save Bill Gates. Just think of all that God could accomplish. Listen, hear how this sounds. Think of all God could accomplish if he had all Bill Gates' money. Can we agree that God is richer than Bill Gates? Oh, oh, think of all that, that God could accomplish with someone as talented as Michael Jackson. Can we agree that, that God is more talented than Michael Jackson? Listen, it's not about the talent that you possess when you come to Christ. It's not about the money, the intellect, or the ability that you possess when you come to Christ. It's about God saving you and putting his spirit in you and him doing something awesome through you. And he chooses the lesser things. So here's another oxymoron, a proud Christian. Because if you're a Christian at all, you had to have made an admission somewhere that said, I'm too weak to make it on my own. I need help. I cannot do this. I need somebody bigger than me, better than me, more able than me to do this for me. There there should be no pride in in the Christian church because if you read the Bible correctly, I used the word just a moment ago, the Bible says God chose the off-scouring. Let me tell you what the off-scouring is. If you put a bucket outside and you put it on like a a two-inch block and so there's some air flowing underneath it, or if you just want to pick it up later in life, but the scum that forms on the bottom of a bucket that's been left unattended is what that Greek word off-scouring means. So we're not just the bottom of the barrel. We're the scum underneath the bottom of the barrel. Y'all, you don't like that, but I want you to know that God is gracious enough to take anybody, and you ought to be glad that God took you. He says from the guttermost to the uttermost, it's not the, the ability. That, uh, one preacher said it this way. The only ability God is concerned with regarding you is your availability. Are you available to be used by God? Some people think that God is blessed to have them because they're all that in a bag of chips. Listen, you, you need to understand that nothing to the cross, we, nothing to the Lord we bring, simply to the cross we cling. It, God doesn't need us, we need him. I want somebody to agree with that this morning. We need the Lord. But if you understand that, if you want to be a Christian, it, the, there's some priorities that you need to put in place because it's not going to happen just by coming to church. Some people have come to church their whole life and never really succeeded in Christ. Some people have come to church their whole life and never become spiritually alive, never become spiritually impacting, never become all that God wanted them to be or even got on the track to doing those things. And I want you to understand that this chapter has some priorities that we can see in it that will help us be productive. Uh, Everything that I'm going to talk to you about, though, today has to be by faith. Say faith. Faith is the basis for Christianity. The Bible, even in the passage I read, said it's impossible to please God without faith. Everything that we have from God is by faith. Salvation, healing, deliverance, it's all by faith. Listen, if God comes to you every night in your bedroom in physical form, sits down on the end of your bed and talks to you like I'm talking to you right now, then you need to understand you need different medication and you don't have faith. We, Jesus said to his disciples, they saw something and they believed and they said, well, that's, Jesus said, that's cool. You believe me now because you saw something, but the ones that are truly blessed are the ones who believe who haven't seen anything yet. I want to tell you, I haven't seen God yet, but I'm excited that one day I'm going to spend eternity with him by faith. So it's a by faith religion, but there's some words I want us to look at this morning, some words in this passage and some people in this passage that as we look to them, we can become more productive in being who God wants us to be. The Bible says, and I tell you all the time, that we have these stories for our examples. These aren't just stories, historical accounts, just so you can read it and say, okay, well, now I know. No, it's stories so that we can have them as examples because if you do what other people did, you can get what they got. And the people that did the right stuff got blessed. They got favored. They got to to be close to God. And those are the things that I would love to see happen to us in 2016. So I'm going to give you some, some things today to think about, some priorities to set in your life. And the first word, I told you there's going to be some important words in our passage, is in verse 3. Look at verse 3. It says, through faith... We understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. By the what? Word of God. 
first word I want you to think about, the first priority I want you to think about is the word. Because everything in Christianity, everything that God does starts with the word. Before there was a world, there was a voice. Before there was a book, there was a voice. But God changed from the voice. Listen, so many people sitting around trying to hear something special and spectacular from God. The, the Bible says that, that God has given us his word. The Bible says in the old times, God spoke through prophets. But in these last times, he speaks to us through his word. And everything that you need in Christian life can be found inside this book. And if you choose to be a Christian and try to live your life outside this book, not only is your entire premise flawed, but your life will not be productive. You need the Word. Say Word. Listen to what God said about the Word. In Genesis 1-3, God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God said. God created things through His Word. In Psalm 138.2, you've heard me say this verse many times. The Bible says that God has magnified his word above his name. Think about that with me. There are people in this room that would never put that curse word together where the first word starts with G and the second word starts with D. Ooh, I don't say that. I, won't, I, I wouldn't take God's name like that. Well, the God, whose name you won't take like that, said that he's elevated his word above his name. So if your Bible just sits around unappreciated, unread, unloved on, if your Bible just sits around collecting dust or holding down your dashboard, then you are literally blaspheming the word of God because the word says that you ought to pick it up and read it. God said his word is elevated, magnified, Above his name, Matthew 24, 35, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. What am I saying to you this morning? We need to be word people. If you won't pick up this book and read it, you won't be successful. Jesus went on to say that man can't just live by food. You got to live by what God says. If you want a more familiar King James rendering, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If you are not reading the Bible, you cannot expect to be spiritually strong. If you are not daily feeding on the word of God, you cannot expect to be spiritually strong. And I can promise you this, you're not putting your priorities where God wants you to. Why? Because we, we claim Christianity, and so we all come to church on Sunday morning. I'm glad you came to church on Sunday morning, but God has not elevated church attendance above his name. I, I'm, I'm glad some of you serve in church, but God has not elevated serving him above his name. There's only one thing that God elevated above his name. There's only one thing that Jesus said would never pass away, and that's the word of God. We need to get a higher value on our Bible. We need to get a higher priority on spending time reading this book. Well, Pastor, I've been busy this week, and I didn't get a chance to read my Bible as much as I should. Oh, did you see that pass Aaron Rodgers threw falling off his back foot into the end? Oh, you saw that, but you didn't read the Bible. You saw a three-and-a-half-hour game, watched the pregame show and the postgame report. Well, I didn't have time to read my Bible this week. Uh, well, okay, well, you don't watch football. Pastor, I didn't get time to read my Bible this week. Oh, but you got that BOGO this week, didn't you? You, you? you spent three hours walking around in a mall and brought home one thing. Listen, there is enough time, say time. There's never a problem with how much time we have. There's a problem with our priorities. There's never a problem with how much time we have. God has given us all the same amount of time. From the ditch digger to the president, we all get 24 hours in a day. There is enough time. You've just got to manage time better. Well, let me back up and say that. I read a book one time, and I agree with it, so let me correct myself. You can't really manage time. Time's on its own. Time's going to do what it's going to do, with or without you. we got to learn how to manage task. Say task. You need to get a to-do list in your life. You need to get some tasks written down. And the first thing you ought to put on that task is the Word of God. Your to-do list needs to include the Word because it's the first priority for a productive life. Now, over the next few verses in the passage that I read, God talks about three different men specifically. I want to talk to you about them. They're listed chronologically. These three different men are listed chronologically, and we'll see that in just a moment. But not only are they listed chronologically, I also taught you about the law of priority listing. I'll tell it to you the same way because it makes the most sense to me to say it. The law of priority listing is replete throughout the Bible. Over and over in the Bible, you see this law come into play. 
when you see the 12 disciples listed in the Gospels, every single time they're listed, the first four are always the first four. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, always. First four, always the first four. The last four are always the last four. The middle ones change up a little bit. Now, why would the first four be the first four and the last four be the last four? Because it's a law of priority listing. The first four were more prominent in the story. The first four were more talked about in the Gospels. We don't have the Gospels right now. They're not writing Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John right now, but we do see priority listing even in our daily life. If you look, well, everybody's daily life doesn't include Skittles. Should. <laughs> you'll love it. You'll get, you'll get hooked on it. It's, it's, better, it's better than what other candy you're eating, but uh, pray for me. I'm off Skittles right now for a minute. But if you look on the back of a bag of Skittles or on the back of a bag of jelly beans, take a guess at what the first ingredient is listed. Sugar. Do you know why? Sugar. Because those ingredients lists follow the law of priority listing. They put what's important, what's most dominant first. And we're going to see not only is this list of three men chronological, but it is also following the biblical law of priority listing. In verse 4, the Bible says, by faith, Abel. So Abel is the first guy we come up to. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Now, if you know the story, Adam and Eve had some boys. They had some kids. They both offered a sacrifice to God. One was accepted. One was not accepted. So Cain got upset and did what? Killed his brother. You say, oh, well, I would never do that. Shame on Cain. The Bible says you can kill him with your words. I've seen some people could just kill you with a look. God has called us to be loving, kind, and decent. I told you all last week, I've been witnessing to people for a long, long time. And so many times when I try to witness to somebody, they come back to me with, well, I've never murdered anybody. Listen, we need to move beyond that simple stuff and get our attitudes right. We, we haven't done what Cain's done, but I don't want to focus on him this morning. I just want to let you know that the story is that Cain killed his brother. But before Cain killed his brother, the Bible says that Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. That same word offered and sacrifice used in that phrase are translated to our word worship. Say worship. So the second priority for a productive life is worship. If you are not a worshiper, you will never be all that God wants you to be. Now you might say, well, pastor, I don't like singing. I'm not into music. Does not matter. I don't like doing a lot of things. When I first got saved, I was doing me. I wasn't having all these rules and, and appointment times. I was not working. I was sleeping at 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, breaking into people's houses, stealing stuff, selling it on the street, staying up all night long and sleeping at 2 or 3 in the afternoon the next day to try to get my hustle on after that. So it's not about what you're comfortable doing. When you come to Christ, you have to be obedient. Can anybody say amen? You have to do what God says, not what's comfortable. Well, Pastor. I just don't like all that church singing. Doesn't matter if you like. Listen, if you don't like it, it's even more of an acceptable sacrifice because it's not in your wheelhouse. It takes effort on your part. And if you ever become a true worshiper, you're going to find out worship requires effort. But Abel was a worshiper. His name is listed first. So worship is higher than the things we're going to see happening in these other two dudes' life. And all throughout the Bible, God tells us that we're created to worship him. Remember the story of the woman at the well where Jesus talked to her, and Jesus told her that the Father seeks worshipers. God never changes. He's still looking for the same thing today. God is looking for worshipers. When we come into church because the Bible says that there should be singing and rejoicing and worship with music and stringed instruments, when we come, I don't know how the Church of Christ misses that, but different message for a different day. When we come to church and we begin the musicians play, and we give you an opportunity to sing to the Lord, to lift your hands to the Lord, to give God worship, and you stand there unaffected, unfazed, unconcerned. It's just not me. I don't want to be here. Some of y'all look like y'all have just been sucking on lemons all morning long and just mad to be here. Guess what? You're here anyway, and we ain't going to let you go. I'm kidding. You can go. But listen, when you come to church and we have a time of worship, hear me good. Do it. Be like Spike. Just do it. You got to get involved in this thing. You've got to work. Well, I'm not a good singer. Me either. 
I sing loud to let y'all know you don't have to be a good singer to sing loud. You got to get involved in worship. Now, the sad thing is I have met some of the most carnal, ungodly, lazy Christians on the planet who just love to worship. Listen, just because you're singing or playing an instrument don't mean you're worshiping. Worship is something that comes from the heart. Thank you, Deacon West. Worship is something that comes from the inside. Worship involves a lot of stuff. I'm not going to take time to expand on it too much today, but simply stated, it is giving honor and love to God. It's taking time to show God how much you love him. When Abel offered his sacrifice, he, in, in Genesis 4-4, the Bible says, Abel also brought the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. He brought the firstling of his flock and, say and. He gave more than enough. He gave more than expected. He gave the best, that's what firstling mean, and he gave more than what he had to give by the law. Now, the Bible tells us that we must take 10% of everything that comes into our house that week and bring it to the house of the Lord. You say, well, Pastor, the tithe is Old Testament. You need to read Matthew 24. Jesus said that you have to tithe, that the tithe is mandated. Well, the tithe has always been mandated to God, but then there's an offering on top of that, and Abel brought his first, he brought his best, he gave offering on top of that, and God received his offering. Cain threw a little something together at the last minute, offered it to God, and God said, I'm not going to do that. The Bible says you should not offer anything to God that costs you nothing. That's why I think non-singers get more smiles from God for singing to God than real singers. Because real singers just like to hear themselves sing. Real musicians just like to hear themselves play. They're just doing them at that point. When some people who can't sing at all but just really try to sing out to the Lord because they want to honor him, they want to give their love to him, they want to worship him because they know that it's the right thing to do, God receives that. God received Abel's offering, didn't receive Cain's offering. So Abel represents to us worship. Everything in your life needs to flow out of worship. You need to worship God. I told you what that is. It's loving on God. The Greek word for worship, Greek's a picturesque language. The Greek word for worship is a phenomenal image. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a big animal in your house person. Don't really care for how that smells. I have had dogs live in my house, uh, not cats. I really don't care for that at all. They sneak up on you, jump on you out of nowhere. But the Greek word for worship is a picture of a dog laying at his master's feet. And I used to have a beagle. Now, this wasn't a typical noise-making crazy beagle. This was a really calm, laid-back, you know, kind of, you know, comfortable like, like his owner beagle. And I told you all, my body's built for comfort, not for speed. Beagle was the same way. He wasn't trying to run. But everywhere I went, he would come sit by me. If I was laying on the couch, he would come lay at the foot of, uh, off the edge of the couch. If I dangle my hand off the edge of the couch, he would nudge my hand. Anybody ever had a dog like that? That's worship. Why is the dog doing that? Because that dog realizes every good thing that he gets is going to come from the hand that he's nudging. Every good thing that he gets is going to come from the hand that he's closest to. And he wants to be near his master. Why does he want to be near his master? Because he appreciates the dog biscuits. Because he appreciates the being let outside to walk. Because he appreciates the love and the affection. And if you want to be a real worshiper, you got to learn how to lay down at God's feet and nudge the hand of God every now and then and let him know I'm here for you. If you want to touch me, I'm right here. If you want to talk to me, I'm right here. See, that's why the dog follows the master from room to room. He don't know. Maybe there's a treat involved. He don't know. Maybe there's a pet involved. Maybe the scratch the back of his ear. Anything good that's going to happen to that dog, he knows who it's going to happen to. And that's why Greeks chose the dog as the animal to show worship. Listen, if you're not sitting at God's feet all the time just in case he might want to love on you, just in case he might want to bless you, then you need to learn more about worship. The second most prominent word for worship the Greeks used was a word that meant to show love by serving. To show love by serving. Now, Gail's mom and dad were a perfect picture of this. Well, not a perfect picture, but they were a great picture of it. Her mom, and taught Gail to do it the same way, would want everybody to sit at the table so she could bring everything to the table. And she wanted to pour everybody sweet tea because y'all know in the South we drink sweet. I don't know how y'all do that. I tried to drink unsweet. Let me keep going. That's horrible. But anyway, her 
husband never had to get up and refill his glass. And it wasn't because he was lazy, and it wasn't because she was being forced to do anything. She enjoyed doing it. Why? Because she loved serving her man. She loved doing something that she could do for the people that she cared about. This Greek word for worship means to show your love through serving. Do you realize that some people that clean the church, they feel negative about it. They got me up in here cleaning this church. Look at these people leaving trash everywhere. It's just a bad attitude about it. While others that clean the church are so thankful for the health to clean the church, for the ability to clean the church, for the time just to be able to do something for God. And their work is their worship. Their labor is their worship. Some people work in the parking lot ministry, and they realize, I'm doing this for the Lord. It may look like they're doing it to get the cars parked, but if they understand, I'm doing this for the Lord, if you take out the trash for the Lord, it is worship. Work for God is worship. So listen, if you stand there and sing and look bad at us and and not give God worship during the praise and worship time and you don't serve in any ministry at all, I got a hint for you this morning. It's really a news flash. It's extra, extra. Read all about it. You don't worship. And if you don't worship, you can't get to this other stuff. Well, what should I do, Pastor? Find you some Christian music that you like. Listen, that's easier in 2016 than it's ever been before. When, when I got saved in, in 1981, there wasn't a whole lot of different kind of Christian music. There wasn't a whole lot of, of uh, other genres for Christian music other than just twang, twang, and twing, and twang, and, and, and some old-time moaning hymns. But now there's every type of music you could, should, could possibly want, and you need to get some Christian music. Does anybody agree with that? And you need to sing from your heart, and you need to listen to music that bends your mind toward God and, and it causes you to desire to be all that God wants for you. You've got to start with his word, but then before you can do anything else, you've got to be a worshiper. In verse 5, the Bible says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and he was not found because God translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. The third word I want you to think about this morning, priority number three for a productive life, is the word walk. Say walk. Now, I'm not talking about the, the, the way he walked. Um, you know, you can, you can tell sometimes where people come from. You, you, you get that five-foot-seven dude, got on the jeans and the flannel shirt, and he walks like this. Are trying to be bow-legged. Listen, you don't have to be try. You don't have to try to be bow-legged if you're bow-legged. The whole world will know. And then you got some people that you, you don't have to ask them where they're from. They pull their pants down and they lean off like that. And every, every other step got a shoulder old school gangster lean. But you, that's not the walk we're talking about. With the walk I'm talking about is daily spending time. Say time. Listen to how Enoch did it in Genesis chapter five verse twenty two. And Enoch walked with God. He hung out with God. Enoch spent time with God. Listen to how long he did it. After he begat Methuselah, 300 years. And he begat more sons and more daughters. This whole time, this dude is hanging out with God, walking with God. Verse 24 said, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch is one of two people in the Bible that we know about that never faced death. One of two people in the Bible that we know about that God just snatched up off the earth. We don't know how God took Enoch. One person said Enoch and God were hanging out one day. God said, we're closer to my house than yours. Come on home. That's not really how it happened. That's just a cute story. We don't know how God got Enoch home. The other person is who? Elijah. And God didn't take Elijah home on a chariot. Uh, he, he took him home on a whirlwind. Everybody thinks it, it was a chariot of fire, but he just snitched Snatched him up in the wind in a chariot. It looked like fire, but Enoch was never at a place in his life for hundreds and hundreds of years where he walked away from God. He was walking with God. And there's so many people in this room, in churches all across the world, that used to be close to God. They can tell you stuff about the Bible. They can sing you Christian songs. They've got word in their brain. they got word in their heart because of what they used to do. The Bible says faith comes by hearing. This is a present tense verb. This Christianity is a right now religion. Faith, too many people are trying to live off what they heard because they're not hearing anything anymore. That's why when I meet people say, oh, pastor, I used to serve in the church. I used to lead worship. I used to be a Sunday school teacher. I used to be a deacon. I helped start a church. I used to work with youth. Used to, used to, used to, used to, used to. Listen, you can't live off used to. 
You can't live off yesterday's blessing. you got to get today's blessing. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing is a present tense verb. For those of y'all that have walked with me through the study of all of God's names, you know I love that name, Jehovah Shema, which means I'm the God who's right in your face. Even if you turn this way, bam, this way, bam. God is a present God. Christianity is designed to be a present tense reality. He walked with God. If you've been in church any length of time, you know people who used to walk with God, but then they walked away. He didn't walk away. And my hope and my prayer for my life and for your life is that we walk with God till God takes us. I don't want to be walking in the wrong direction when something bad happens. That's a different message for a different time. But Enoch pleased God by walking with him, hanging out with him, going in the same direction with him. We've been given that privilege. Now, think about if the most important person in your world, if, if President Obama called you yesterday or this coming Saturday on your cell phone and said, hey, I'm at the Waffle House on 103rd Street, first thing you got to wonder, why is the President of the United States eating at the Waffle House? But if he says, I've reserved a table for you and any guest that you'd like to bring, you need to get to that meeting. Uh, you, oh, you're not a President Obama fan? Okay, well, if Michael Jordan called you up and said, hey, I'm eating at the IHOP, and I got a table reserved for you, whoever your favorite, if your favorite, say, listen, if Beyonce called you up, hey, men, don't go because you're going to get in trouble that way. But if somebody important called you up and said, I want you to come hang out with me, most people would take that opportunity to do it. Well, we've been given not only an opportunity, but a divine privilege to hang out with God every day. Spend time with God every day. But listen to what Amos said about walking with God. Two can't walk together except they be agreed. Two can't walk together except they be agreed. If you want to walk with God, you've got to agree with God. Some people are married to somebody they don't agree with. Listen, I don't understand how a Florida Gator fan marries a Georgia Bulldog fan. You can't feel me on that? Let me bring it closer to something. I don't know how a Florida Gator fan marries a Florida State Seminole fan. She ain't pulling for the Gators on you, is she? Uh, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't let that go in your house. It's totally garnet and gold over to Deacon West home, chopping all the way. Listen, you got to have stuff in common. I've been counseling married people for a long time, and I can tell you what. I like the sign. It rhymes, and it's cute, and it's catchy. The family that prays together stays together, but that ain't always true because I've seen families that pray together fall apart. You want to know how to, how to make your marriage last and, and, and she be your boo and you be her bubble cakes all the days of your life? Pick the right one to begin with. If you pick the right one to begin with, you got stuff you agree on. That will work better. Why? Because two can't walk together unless they be agreed. You can't go out there talking about, I love Jesus, I'm a Christian, but I want to marry a Muslim. You can't walk around talking about, I'm a Holy Ghost, fire-baptized, spirit-filled, Bible-believing Christian, but I want to marry somebody that don't like going to church. That doesn't work. you got to have stuff in common with somebody you're going to hang out with. And if you're going to walk with God, you have to be in agreement with what he says. You got to agree with what God says right is. You got to agree with what God says wrong is. You got to agree when God says, I'm the boss and you're not. You got to agree when God says, I'm in charge and you're not. You got to agree when God says, you have to choose not my will, but your will be done. Can you agree with God that way? You can't walk with him if you don't. If you're going to walk with God, you have to agree with him. So we've, we've seen that the word is preeminent. And we've seen Abel was a worshiper. We, we've seen that Enoch was a walker. But let's look at the third man in verse 7. The Bible says that Noah moved with fear and prepared an ark. Listen, Noah was a worker. The fourth priority for a productive life is work. Say work. People don't like work, especially in this generation. It's incredible to me because I've lived long enough now in my 50s to see that it just is getting worse and worse. American culture is just getting worse and worse. People are getting lazier and lazier. People are getting less excited about work. Listen, grandma and them used to work. You got people now complaining about doing the dishes. Let me give you a hint. Maytag doing the dishes. 
You just load them in a machine. Don't complain about I'd been doing dishes. No, you load people complain. My grandmama used to wash clothes. Can you hear me when I say that? Grandmama used to get outside, fill up a tub, and that's right, just like that. Uh, some senior dough. You know what I'm talking about. That that was work. Take all day long to do the wash, then hang it on the line and hope that it doesn't rain and run out there and get it off the line. But I don't even know if they make clothespins anymore. But the there's work going on in in, in grandmama's generation. People talking about, oh, man, uh, I spent all day. Listen, my children can wash clothes. I'm not trying to say it doesn't involve any effort at all. You throw them in there, hit the right setting, and turn it on, walk away, go finish watching your soap opera. Listen, the generations are getting lazier. and I see my generation as lazier than my mama's generation. My mama's generation was lazier than her mama's generation. And God knows for real, this child generation we got going on right now ain't nothing but L-A-Z-Y. You ain't got no alibi. You lazy. Just lazy. I mean, if it don't involve some type of video game, some type of constant brain, work. Oh, my goodness, work is the new four-letter word. Work is a four-letter word, but it's not dirty. Too many people think work was put on us because of sin. God gave man work before the fall in the garden. Work is a blessing. Work is a privilege. Go ahead and let something happen to you like happened to me over three and a half years ago when I dropped a lawnmower on my back and couldn't do almost any. Listen, you want to get out and work. I have re-injured my back so many times. My kids will tell you, shoveling dirt in the backyard. Why? Because I was tired of being laying on the couch hoping this back would get better. Why? Because I was tired having back surgery and wanting to be able to get up and go and do again. Work is a blessing. You start to get some years on you, you're going to wish you could still work the way you used to, but we need to work for God. Noah was a worker. He went to work for God. In Genesis 6, 14, the Bible says, God talking to Moses, make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and thou shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. Now, I watched a movie one time, CBS, NBC, whoever, they did some deal about Noah, and I'm watching it a little bit. It's all messed up. You know, the Bible facts are all wrong. They, they got, you know, Lot's wife being married to John the Baptist, foolish stuff like that. But they, they, they come to this part about Noah building the ark. So, you know, you, you got whoever, James Earl Jones, so, Noah, build me an ark. Oh, no, that's Darth Vader. Um, and it, Noah goes to sleep on that command and wakes up the next day, and all around his little tent is stacked up wood, palletized with bands wrapped around it. And I'm thinking, and yeah, yeah, Noah didn't have it that way. Lowe's or Home Depot didn't deliver that wood. He had to cut it. You, try to build anything. Now, now, some of you guys are awesome at building. I, I, I love seeing the stuff James does with a chainsaw, his wood carving. Some of you guys, girls, are awesome at building stuff. But listen, go ahead and try to build a boat by hand. With, with no power tools. Go ahead and just dr- drop on out there. Just start cutting trees down. Sawing them up with little tiny. Ma- turn a rock into a saw some kind of way. Get a sharp rock and cut a tree down. And start making a boat that will float. He was a worker. Say work. Now some people are confused because God said that the days of man will be 120. And some people take that to be how long man should live. That's not right. Other people take it to mean it took no 120 years to build the ark. That's not right either. Because from the time God told him to build an ark, his sons had to grow up. He and he had all those sons when, when God told him to build the ark. But they had to grow up and get wives because God told him it will be you, your wife, your three sons, and their three wives. So the best guess, and there's no, if somebody ever asks you how long did it take Noah to build the ark, sound intelligent and say, no one knows for sure, because that's the right answer. But we can deduce that it was less than 120 years and more than 75, somewhere between 75, let's just take the bottom number, 75 years minimum that this guy is out there chopping down trees trying to put an ark together that all the animals that would continue all the world, that all the species of animals could be housed on this giant boat. Listen, he didn't have DeWalt. He didn't have Black and Decker. He didn't have anything. He had, it's like Deacon, Deacon Jimmy, wave at everybody, Deacon Jimmy. When me and Deacon Jimmy were first getting to know each other about 10 years ago, uh, he told me he owned a fence building company. Y'all need a fence built? Talk to him. Um, he builds all my fences. And I asked him, I'm like, oh, well, how's, how's business? I said, oh, it's doing good. It's blessed of the Lord. God, God has been blessing us. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, you probably got the right equipment out there. I, I put 
post holes in the ground before. I'm, I, I ain't stupid. I just look like this. I go rent an auger. You know what that thing does? You press it like that, digs a hole for you. You back it out, boom, post hole dug. I said, well, man, you ain't the youngest guy in the world out there. Uh, do, do you have an auger? He's like, oh, no, I got two augers. I'm like, oh, man, y'all, y'all are blessed. He said, this is my left one, this is my right one. <laughs> he was bigger when I, when I first started telling that story. He was younger. But he still got half auger on each side. But 120 years to 75, let's just take 70, 75 years building a boat in a desert? Where did he get the wood? It just wasn't all laying there for him. Now, now, Jimmy, you've been dragging James Wood for a long time, but you ain't dragging it from the desert back to the truck. That's, that's from the front of the backyard, wherever the property is. Listen, this dude had to go collect all the wood just to get it done. And people are like, no, Pastor Scott, I just supernaturally believe that angels just deposited on there, and he just laid back and prayed. No, it doesn't happen that way. Some of y'all laying back praying too much. You say, Pastor, can you really pray too much? Sure you can. If you're praying whether or not being faithful to your spouse is what God wants you to do, you're praying too much. If you're praying whether or not God wants you to rob a bank, you're praying too much. If you're praying whether or not God wants you to respect mother and father, you're praying too much. You don't have to pray about stuff. God has already said what we need to do is put some feet to our prayers. What's that called? Work. People don't like work because it takes effort, but God shows us the priority for our life is work. Noah was a worker. If you want to have a productive life in God's kingdom, you're going to have to work. It takes work to study this book. It takes work to get on your knees and pray. It takes work not to react to somebody who does you wrong, but to turn the other cheek. The problem in the church that I've seen over the years is there are too many people trying to work for God when they haven't spent time in the Word, they haven't worshiped God, and they haven't walked with God. Listen, if you try to take a title inside the church, but you're not a worshiper, you're going to burn out. If you try to take a title inside the church, but you don't spend time in the Word, you're going to burn out. If you try to take a title and, and work in the church, but you don't walk with God consistently on your own, you're going to burn out. That's why the average staff member, senior pastor, worship leader, youth leader, only stays at a church from 18 to 24 months. Why? Because they burn out. They come in, they look impressive off the bat, and then when the, the, the fact that they're not walking with God personally, the fact that they don't worship God personally, the fact that they don't walk with God personally, the fact that they don't love the Word personally, it begins to expose them, and then it's time to move on. If, if, you, if you don't believe that, just think about your favorite pastor or your favorite worship leader or your favorite youth minister that you've had in your life, and you realize very few of them stay the course. How, how long have you been with us, Elder Rob? Four years. That's twice as long as the national average, at least if not three times as long. Somebody ought to put their hands together for longevity. And see, he's going to be able to withstand because he has a walk with God. He puts priority on the Word of God. He worships as a person, not just as an act on the stage. I could preach on that till, till dark, but I, I'm going to keep moving. You cannot get to this work part. You can, but it's going to hurt you if you try to jump into working for God without walking with him, without worshiping with him, and without spending time in his word. Our fifth priority is witness. Say witness, and I'm going to let you out of here. Acts 1.8 says this, But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and, unto, and in Samaria and into the uttermost part of the earth. Now, these locations are geographic locations that existed then, that still exist today. And what they are is they're expanding circles of geography. You'll be a witness in Jerusalem. That's hometown. Judea, the surrounding area. Samaria, the whole country and the whole earth. That's everywhere on the planet. We should be witnesses in Jacksonville and in the state of Florida and in the United States and to the whole world. But listen... Problem with being a witness, trying, trying to tell people about Christ? you got to have a walk with God to be an effective witness. you got to have the Word in you to be an effective witness. you got to have worship on your heart to be an effective witness. But look at what Acts 1-8 says. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and it shall make you so strange nobody wants to sit by you in church. No, that's not what it says. I've met some people that... 
Now, I understand getting moved, and, 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 and I've fallen out in church, and I prayed. We used to slob oil and lay hands and just stretch people out every service until I realized the same people were coming Sunday after Sunday wanting to get stretched out for the same deliverance. Then I realized sometimes you've got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. But the Bible says you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you'll spend more time speaking in tongues than you'll spend reading your Bible. That doesn't say that either. What's it say? you receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. Where? Everywhere. The number one, you, don't, you, you can disagree with me if you want to, but I'm standing on the side of the word. The number one reason God fills us with his spirit is not so we can be better worshipers, not so we can be stronger in our gift, not so we can have a prayer language, not so we can speak in tongues, and I believe in all that. But the number one reason God fills us with his Holy Spirit is so that we can go out and tell lost men and women and boys and girls that God loved them and sent his son Jesus Christ to the cross to die for them and pay for their sins. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm fire baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. Oh, man, you must be a fantastic witness. Oh, no, but I pray in tongues. Well, that's not what the Bible says. I thank God you pray in tongues. It's going to build you up and strengthen you according to the book of Jude. But the number one reason that God gives us his spirit is so that we can be witnesses. So the fifth priority of a productive life is to be a witness. Remember what I said, though. Everything starts with the word. Then you got to be a worshiper. Abel worshiped God. Enoch walked with God. Noah worked for God. Well, who are his witnesses? Us. Us, those of us who claim to be saved, because the Bible says that when you get saved, God puts his spirit in you. I, I've been in churches before that they were praying for Christians to get God's spirit until I read the Bible that says in the book of Romans that if any of you have not the spirit of Christ, you are none of his. You got the spirit of God the day that you first believed. Now, there's a greater feeling and there's influence, and we can talk about that at another time, but God's witnesses are those who claim his name. We've been called to be as witnesses. If you want to be a productive person in God's kingdom, you have to witness. Listen, that doesn't mean you got to go around being weird. I don't believe that weird folk are, are good witnesses. I don't think Jesus was weird. I think Jesus was cooler than the other side of the pillow. I think Jesus was, was so awesome that people were just drawn to him. I don't think he was freaking people out by quoting a bunch of scripture and acting ignorant around them. I think he was kind and decent and merciful and loving. Why? Because that's how he still is today, and the Bible says that he never changes. Don't be the weirdest person on your job in the name of God. Be the most awesome person on your job in the name of God. Don't, don't be the spookiest person on your job. Be, be, be the most loving person on your job. Be the most spiritual, kind-hearted person on your job. That's going to be the witness. People were drawn to Jesus because there was something in him that made him awesome and made them want to be around him, and we got to be that type of witness today. I think more than times than not, though, Christians witnessing are turning people away. I heard one writer say the reason a lot of people won't come to church is because they already been, and they didn't like what they saw. And as much as I love the church and as much as I love being in church, I got to agree that I can see that. Somebody come to church and get, get looked at wrong. Somebody come to church and get talked about. Somebody come to church and, and be offended and, and then feel like they don't want any more part of that. Listen, all that's going to happen, you, 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 all that happens in your natural family. Anybody that expects to get involved in a spiritual family and never go through anything, you, you're just not being honest with yourself. You, you have bumps and battles with your, with your own family, with, with cousins and nephews, nieces, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, mama, daddy. There, there's, there's always that. That's just part of being in relationship with people. But we need to understand as Christians that when we get a chance to minister, to meet, to hang around people who aren't saved, we need to witness for God in a positive way. We need to be good and decent, not negative and condemning. We need to be encouraging and, and loving not just looking down our nose as so many times people do in the church. So there's five things I talked to you about. I want you to have a productive life in 2016. And this will carry you through the rest of your life. If you will make these five things priorities in your life, and if you'll do them in this order, put value on the Word of God. Start being a Bible person. You don't have to read a whole lot every day. Just read something every day. I've tried to make it easy as I can for the people who come to this church by offering you the proverb of the day. Today is January 17th. Read the proverb 17. It'll take you less than four minutes, and it'll give you something to feed your inner man with. 
Then once you start spending time with the word, you need to worship every day. You need to start singing songs to God. You need to start telling God that you love him. You need to start working for God to show him that you love him. And you need to walk with him for a long time. I've seen bottle rocket Christians, people who come to church, get saved. People who come to church want to get involved in everything. So excited. There's nothing wrong with excitement. But it takes a long time to become all that God wants you to be. None of us are there yet. Every one of us, starting with me, we're still in our process of learning about God, learning more about God, becoming who God wants us to be. But you got to walk with him. See, one, one person said it this way. A mushroom springs up overnight, but it takes a really long time to grow an oak tree. I don't want to be a weak Christian that can get kicked over easily. I want to be a deep-rooted Christian. And it takes a long time. You need to set your face firm, and you need to set your resolve firm and say, no matter what, ever comes my way, I will walk with God. I will walk with God from now to the end of my life. That's why I tell you all all the time, the senior adults in our church are my role models because they're already doing what I prayed that I will be able to do. They're, they're, They're finishing strong. They're still in church in their 60s. They're still in church in their 70s. They're still serving and loving God in their 80s. That's a walk with God. That's a walk with God. I see people who have long-standing Christian marriages, 20-year marriages, 30-year marriages, 40-year marriages, 50-year. That, that, that's a witness. That's a powerful. That's to be aspired to. That's something that should be recognized. It's not happening much in the world today. But that's somebody who is determined to walk this thing out. I want you to just be real with yourself today. Are you really determined to walk this thing out? Are you really determined to stay with this thing? We, we, we saw people staying hundreds and hundreds. Enoch walked with God hundreds and hundreds of years. Are you going to work for God ever? If you're new to this church and you're just getting your legs under you and maybe you've been out for a while, don't jump right back into working. Don't jump right back into some, some, you know, keeping the nursery every week. Somebody needs to do it, and we need more people to step up and do some of this work because many hands make lighter work. But if you've been around for a while and you're reading your Bible and you believe in worship and you're determined to stay with God, close to Him, walking with Him, you need to get an area of service in this church. You need to be working with the youth. On, on, on Wednesday night or you need to be working in food and clothing we're going to talk about that right after service you need to be working with children you need to be working in hospitality you need to find a way to work for God that's how we show him our love and then you get those four things right witnessing is going to come easy because you're going to have the joy of the Lord on your side that's why some people can stay in church forever serve God forever do ministry forever because they're doing all these four things and, and the joy of the Lord is just flowing through them, so they're a witness everywhere they go. If you ever get tired of serving God, if you ever feel like you don't know how much longer you can do this, that is a wake-up call to say that you're doing this in your own strength and not in the strength of the Lord. Because the Bible says that if you walk close enough to God, that the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Then you're not operating on your willpower. You're not operating on your determination. You're not operating on your ability. You're letting God flow through you. And it is so exciting. Listen, I want everybody to experience the joy of God using you to do something for him. That's incredible. That is so incredible. I I can remember being in basic training in, in the United States Army, Fort Dix, New Jersey, in the spring of 1986. Everybody wanted to be that person that was on Drill Sergeant Robinson's good side. When he needed somebody to go do something, everybody who was for real and and, in love with being in the Army, they stepped up and wanted to volunteer. I want to tell you something. People who love God for real, they step up and volunteer because they want to do something. And, and, and we felt good when, when, when we were told, or when I was playing football, when I was playing baseball, you wanted to be, you didn't care what anybody said about coach's pet. You didn't care what anybody says about suck up to the coach. You wanted to be the one that stayed up and helped the coach get the bases off the field. You wanted to be the one that the coach put his arm around and said, man, if, if, if our whole team worked as hard as you do, we, we'd win more games. You want to be that person. You want to serve somebody that you love. You want to serve somebody you want to do something good for somebody that you look up to it doesn't make any sense to just come sit in church your whole life without ever getting involved you need to get involved we're going to have a ministry fair at the end of this month where we talk about every available area of service and you need to make sure that you're there for that because when all that happens not only will you be more of a witness but you'll be more of an effective witness 
It wasn't when I got saved and came home and told my mother and my sister that I gave my life to Christ that they listened to me. They just assumed I was on some trip that would fade out. But as I walked through it, as they saw me reading my Bible every day, as they saw me, heard me singing songs to God, going to church, as they saw, my sister will tell you the reason why she came to Christ in 1981 was largely because of what she saw happening in the middle of a week that I was doing. I I had washed and dried a, a load of towels, and I was on the couch folding a load of towels. You say, well, whoop-de-doo. Listen, I had never done that in my whole life. I didn't help. I was a hellish teenager. I used to look, my mom was a single mother. She would cry and say, son, please leave. I can't take you anymore. And and with the hatred of an unsaved teenager, I would look at her face and say, I'm not going anywhere because I don't have to pay rent here. My mama told me the last time I went to jail that it'd be, that she wasn't going to come get me and she didn't come get me. And, And that tough love is what helped me to turn around. So when my sister saw her brother doing something he had never done, helping out, doing something good. She sat down and she said, all right, I've been listening to you talk all this stuff about church, but this is ridiculous. I've never seen you help mom with laundry before. What is really going on? And because I was walking God, walking with God, worshiping God, being in the Word, because I was working for God, my witness became so much more powerful because it just wasn't lip service. People are tired of hearing Christians talk about how much they love God when they see a different lifestyle Monday through Friday. Listen, I don't believe God is nearly as concerned with where you park your car on Sunday morning as he is how you live your life Monday through Saturday. We got to get our lives right so we can witness right. The reason why it's so hard for some of us to reach our friends and family for Christ is because they know us. They know the old us. They, they've seen us do so much wrong that, that our words have no credibility with them. Listen, start doing so much right. Those words will turn around. Start doing so much right. Get these things. Get involved in these things. Real quick, don't answer out loud, but let, let's just inventory. Are you a Bible person? Are you a word person? Do you spend time in the Bible every day? Okay, yes or no. Are you a worshiper? Do you just love to love on God? Listen, if you've never been riding in your car, driving down the road, singing to God, tears streaming, snot slobbing, and have to pull off on the side of the road because you can't see anymore, but you just need to tell God how much you love Him. You need to get to that spot. You need to get to that place where it is just so overfilling your heart that you just feel like everything in you is going to explode if you just don't lift your hands and tell God how much you love Him and how thankful you are that He sent His Son to die for you. I'm not asking you to do something that's going to hurt you. I'm asking you to do something that's going to help you be who God wants you to be. Next, have you been walking with God? Up and down, in and out, that's not walking with God. God don't walk backwards. God walks forwards. God is moving in the right direction. Are you working in God's kingdom? Are you working? Are you serving? Are you doing something to help make somebody else's life better? You come. Hang out Monday through Friday for 3 to 6 o'clock in our community center. Help children. Help children learn how to read. Help feed these kids. Work. Find something to do to show your love to the Lord. Coming to church is great, but there's more. Last, are you a witness of his resurrection? I was talking to the kids last night about celebrating resurrection, and they thought I was talking about Easter. As Christians, we don't just celebrate resurrection on Easter. We celebrate resurrection every day. We celebrate the fact that Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead every day. But God moved his day of corporate worship from Saturday, which it had been for thousands of years, to Sunday. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. So on Sunday, the apostles and the Christians began to gather together on Sunday morning to celebrate the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And I want you to know, every time we come to church, you ought to have a celebration spirit. You need to shake that funk off you. 
You need to shake that tired off you. You need to shake that negative off you. You need to shake that worry about your bills off you. Leave all that outside. When you come in here, you ought to be ready. You ought to be set on go to sing, shout, clap your hands, give God glory, give Him praise. You ought to be on ready to tell God that you love Him. You ought to be on ready with your tithe check in your hand. You are, you, we shouldn't have to preach you up and sing you up for you to want to love God. You ought to wake up and realize it's only because he lives that I can face this day. God wants us to live productive lives, but we got to get our priorities straightened out. It can't be TV first and God last. It can't be social media first and God last. It can't even be anything first and God second. God said that he is the Lord by himself, and you can't have any gods before him. That's how it says it in one version. But if you read it in the Hebrew, it says around him. They can't be in front of him, beside him, behind him. God on your list of one to ten, God ought to be first. Guess what ought to be second? God. Guess what ought to be third? God. Your whole list should be God. Because Jesus said if you put God first, everything else will take care of itself. Some of y'all live in substandard because you won't put God first. You're trying hard to get your bills paid with God second. It don't work like that. You're trying hard to be successful in life with God second, but it won't work like that. You're trying to get you together and add God in on the side. It doesn't work like that. Too many people today are making God the condiment, something off to the side to flavor it up a little, a little bit of ketchup, a little bit of mustard. A little bit of hot sauce. That's not what God's about. God don't want to be the hot sauce of your life. God wants to be the whole meal. He wants to be your everything. He wants to be your starting and your ending. When you get to that place, you're going to be happier than you are now. You're going to be able to lay your head down on your bed at night and thank God for another day. And sleep and get up in the morning and wake up and tell God you love him all over again. The best news I can give you because we all fail. If you agree that we all fail, please say amen. We all fail. We all sin. We all come short. Nobody is perfect but Jesus. And that's why I give you this verse so many times. I'm going to give it to you and we're going to close. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I remember when I first got saved. I was one of those people whose real testimony was it felt like the weight of the world was lifted off me. Why? Because I was burdened down with sin. I was burdened down with guilt. I was burdened down with shame. I was burdened down with fear. When I got saved, I still had a charge in St. John's County against me awaiting a trial date. Tell you how that went later. But God, when he cleansed me, I'd never felt anything like it. To know that I was clean no guilt, no stain, no shame in front of God. It's the most awesome place you can be. And you don't have to wait till next week, next month. Anytime you want to get right with God, you just tell him, God, I know I've been wrong and I want to be right. Please forgive me of my sins. If you'll tell him, if you'll confess to him that you're wrong, he will clean you up. I want to live a clean life in 2016. I want to live a life that honors God in 2016. But that's going to take some effort. It's going to take some effort from me, and it's going to take some effort from you. That's why we're coming here every night from 7 to 8 o'clock, and we're praying, and we're asking God to strengthen us spiritually, to let this church be a beacon of light to this community, that they would know that our God lives and that our God loves them. Bow your heads pray with me. God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for giving us your word. God, I thank you for allowing us to worship you to walk with you, to work for you, to witness for you. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, God, that you would strengthen us on the inside, create in us a clean heart, renew a right spirit in us. Help us to put you first. Forgive us when we haven't put you first. Help us to put you above everything else where there's nothing even close to you on our priority list because you're all in all. You're everything. You're everything to us, God. We can't live without you. We can't breathe without you. We confess that we need you, sir. We confess that we're nothing without you. So, God, I pray that you would give us a passion to love you more. Give us a passion to get our priorities right. Let 2016 be a great year for your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.